This is Edge of the Box, a podcast brought to you by whoscored.com. Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com in association with Bet Victor. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Jonathan Wilson and Josh Wright from Who Scored to chat through the Premier League fixtures this weekend. And I warn you before we start, that's some uninspiring fixtures. We're going to give it a go and we're going to try and make it interesting for you anyway. Both well? Very well, thank you. How are you? Good. I love it when you ask me, Jonathan. I'm good. I'm good, thanks. It's a bit early for me. I'm struggling a little bit to, to be sharp, but I'm sure I'll get by as the show goes on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can I just point out, this, this, this start time was your choice. You demanded <laughs> I know, I know, an 8 o'clock start. My hands are tied. I'm at my parents. My mum's very, very bossy. She wants to leave at a certain time for my sister's wedding tomorrow. And I've, yeah, I, I'm, I'm doing as I'm told. So my hands are tied. I appreciate you both coming on early. Josh, you okay? Uh, yeah, a bit nervous. This show seems to be coming the Dan and Jonathan show rather than ousting yeah, who scored, I think. But yeah, well, I'm all good. I'm, I'm hoping you might ask Martin to start doing the script because there's a few things I'm unhappy with in the script this week. <laughs> I've been given no duration on the games. And again, he hasn't put Villa in when I think that's probably one of the more interesting games this weekend. So yeah, serious words need to be had with Martin. We are going to start with the team of the week, Josh. You're going to run us through the best 11. Is that just from the midweek fixtures or is that from the weekend as well? Just from the midweek games, yeah. Go on then. Starting goal, we've got Kasper Schmeichel. Obviously, Leicester lost 2-0 to Liverpool last night, but Schmeichel was pretty active and, and made a couple of very good saves to keep the scoreline down. Uh, moving into defence, we've got Kieran Trippier, who obviously scored that wonderful free kick against um, Everton. He's obviously been he started great since he's come back to England. Uh, in central defence, we've got Joel Matip, uh, Matip and Van Dijk really kept Leicester quiet last night and it, w- it could have been a toss-up between either of them, but Matip got an assist at the end for Hotter's second. Uh, we've got Gabriel as well. He obviously scored the winner for Arsenal, which was a massive goal in the race for the top four. Um, at left-back, we have Cance- Cancelo. Uh, he obviously doesn't need anything said about him anymore. He's been so good this season for a long time. Um, and then into midfield, we've got Diego Hutter, who obviously scored both of Liverpool's goals last night. Does Often doesn't seem to add anything to Liverpool's games, but popped up with important goals. Uh, central midfield, we've got Ward Prowse. He obviously helped spark uh, Southampton's comeback against Tottenham with two assists. Uh, and then we've got Kevin De Bruyne, who's continued his final form with a goal. Left left of midfield, who you'll appreciate, Dan, is Philip Coutinho. Uh, he finished as our Premier League Player of the Week. He obviously got uh, a goal and a couple of assists in that metal Villa Leeds game. And then up front, we have Che Adams, who probably should have had another goal, to be fair, against Tottenham. And he's partnered by Dan James, who got um, a brace in that game against against Villa. Dan James just suddenly decided he was the most potent striker in world football <laughs> when he rocked up at Villa Park. He could, he could have had about four or five, to be honest. I, I couldn't believe what I was saying. I was, I was quite pleased when I saw he was lining up up front and then he had an absolute stormer of a day. What's Jacob Ramsey got to do to get in this team, Josh? I know, it's, it's, it's quite harsh, but Ward Prowse and De Bruyne just edged him. He was, he was just behind those two, but yeah, Ward Prowse and De Bruyne are ahead of him. Okay, the Villa hatred rolls on on there. Maybe that was just that, that. That will keep him hungry. He'll see that and he'll want to kick on. Well, I mean, he was very, very good on on Wednesday night. I can't believe that he's not made that team. Someone who's not very good at the moment, Leicester City playing West Ham at the moment, and straight off the bat, I've absolutely no derby for this off the top of my head. So I'm going to need some help. If anyone has anything that leaps out of them, please feel free to say now, Jonathan or Josh. Tony Cotty ever play for Leicester? Oh yeah, lovely. That is that is. A he great did play for Leicester, did he? Yes, he did. Josh, what has happened to Leicester? I'm not sure they've ever been great defensively, but they really look all over the place at the moment. And then last night, I just thought it was really weird. You know, Soyuncu sat on the bench, Vestergaard sat on the bench. Armity must have something really critical on Brendan Rodgers because he seems to get picked nearly every time. Just 
you've got. I think we've got a graphic, haven't we, about the regression there? It's, it's been a funny old season for them so far. They've sort of they sort of dragged it on and on, and I think everyone kind of accepted that uh, injuries just haven't been kind to them this season, and that's fine and that's completely true. But then I think when you see the manner of the defeat against Nottingham Forest last weekend, a really heavy four-one defeat, and then I think you at that point you think there's something more to it, and I think Rogers accepted that, and that's why he made so many changes against Liverpool last night, but. Obviously, it's bizarre. He, he went it with a back four and the two of the centre-backs weren't centre-backs. Mm. Yannick, Vester, Yannick Vestergaard, who he signed, can't get a look in. I mean, he's picking in Diddy, who's obviously a midfielder ahead of him at centre-back. And I mean, he did fine, apart from, from set pieces where he just didn't want didn't to mark Van Dijk. But, but yeah, I, I don't know. You just think about the way Leicester have sort of ended the last two seasons. They've missed out on the Champions League quite, quite spectacularly. And I think at a certain point, that must take its toll on the players. Um, it's already tough enough to crack the top four as it is for clubs like Leicester and West Ham. And I think when when you have it pretty much in the bag and then you lose it back to back seasons, that's got that's got to drain the players. Um, and I mean, like as I said, from set pieces, they're just so vulnerable. I think it's nearly 50 percent of their goals they've conceded have come from set pieces. Um, and Diddy just didn't want to mark Van Dijk. He could have had a couple of goals last night. I don't know if that's because Leicester aren't spending enough time on them, or just that the players just aren't committed, aren't as committed anymore. But yeah, like you said, I checked the check the who scored ratings to see if anyone had actually improved, and and obviously not many have. I guess for, you can see from their league standing that they're really struggling, and that's reflected in the ratings. Players like Vestergaard, who was obviously at Southampton last season as a mainstay, he's decreased significantly. And then you've got Iosi Perez, who I even I forgot was actually at Leicester. Um, he doesn't get a game. Harvey Barnes again has had a similar drop. Uh, the only players that have actually kicked on is Kasper Schmeichel, and I think that's um, it's a marginal increase from his rating last season to this, and that's basically because he's been more involved in games. And then the other one's Luke Thomas, who I think we can all agree it has been pretty good this season. Mm. I think, and I think there's even talk of him getting an England call up, or certainly yeah. on Southgate's radar. But yeah, it's, it's, they've been strange. They have been really strange. Even Tillemans is one of my favourite players to watch. He, he's not having a good season at all, Jonathan. It just they're just all at sea, aren't they? You have to say the injuries have been pretty much unprecedented. I mean, they've been without sort of five or six key players in every single game. You look, you look at who they look at who they haven't got in this game: no Evans, no Castagna, no Vardy, no Fafana, no Bertrand. Mendy's a doubt. You you can't. No, no club could sustain a run when we're regularly without five or six key players. And these aren't sort of five or six fringe players. You're of that of that half dozen. You'd say four would be absolute cast iron first choices, and that's been true with with different players through the season. So that that, that I think has a a dual effect. So one, they're just not there, but then also they start losing games. That affects confidence. They start, you know, and you know when teams get on a losing run, they start trying to second guess themselves. They start trying to change things that don't need changing. Um, I think you, you know, we've we mentioned before that Brendan Rodgers in the third season, things often do begin to go wrong. And I think it's easy to say that's down to his his uh, occasional David Brent mannerisms and, and expressions that eventually they sort of grate on players and, and, and maybe that's happening again. Um, I just think it's really hard to judge them this season. But the one thing you keep coming back to is that inability to defend set plays. And again, that's it's not just that every time they can see the corner, you think, oh, trouble here. It's that then puts pressure on other bits of the game because they're thinking, right, we can't concede a corner. Mm. And, and so then they make the wrong decision in other parts of the field. And so the whole thing begins to, to fall apart. And you see when teams get on this downward spiral. I, I guess the question they've got to ask themselves, if, if they are thinking about Rodgers' future, is 
who can you bring in who could be pretty certain will be an upgrade? And look, if I could get, say, Pochettino or somebody, then then yes, absolutely do that. Um, but m- my temptation would be to wait till the end of the season, wait till, to see what happens yeah. over summer, wait and see what happens when they get players back. Because um, I also think, and this is a more general thing, it's not just about Leicester, um, and I can see why you do it if relegation's an issue, which I just don't think it is for Leicester. Um, but, you know, a manager can be brilliant for three years and he has a bad two months and he's sacked. Yeah, the first yeah. mistake and that's it, you're gone. And, uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago, managers were given time to sort of learn from mistakes and, and rebuild. And that never seems to happen anymore. And I, as, as I say, I do understand that when, you know, if, if you're you're panicking that you're sliding towards relegation and you think we've just got to do anything to arrest this because we can't afford not to be in the Premier League. But I, I think with Leicester, that's not the case. I, I think they they are in a position where they do have a luxury of being able to say, well, all right, if we finish 14th this season, it's bad, but it's not terminal. And we've got all that in the bank, all that credit that Brendan Rodgers has built up. We've got, hopefully next season, you know, free of injuries yeah, he deserves a chance to, to to go again, and and we've got faith in his his methods. And you're going to be absolutely shocked to hear this, Jonathan, but I completely agree with you. I mean, I know Leicester won the league, you know, fifth fifth FA Cup for Brendan Rodgers. I know they're having an off season, but really, I mean, whenever Leicester had success like that, I, th- I think it'd be incredibly harsh to sack him. I well, don't the, the, think the thing the thing that reminds me a bit of is that one terrible season Everton had under David Moyes. Everton showed faith in Moyes, and yeah, you know, they they bounced back to be. You know, up a mid-table, which realistically is, yeah. If if you look at the Premier League at the minute, and you sort of you 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 forget about form, you forget about injuries, and you just say on on budget and on squad, where would you expect Leicester to finish? You'd probably be saying about seventh. Yeah. Um, And if they finish above that, as they have done the previous two seasons, well, that's great, and they're in the Europa League. Um, If they finish below that, well, that's that's less great, but. Those two fifth place finishes were Leicester punching above their weight. There does need to be, uh, I don't know how many Leicester fans watch this podcast, but I do feel like there does need to be a little bit of a sense of realism. They have had unprecedented injuries. If Fafana and Evans are fit all season, I think they're much higher up the league as well. So, yeah, I'd stick with him. He was, he's linked with all the top jobs as well, isn't he? And that, that's completely gone away now. So it's been a bit of a fall from grace for Brendan Rodgers, but he's a great manager. But that's a bit of a strange thing as well, because... Um, you know, he, he Brendan Rodgers as a manager isn't isn't different now to how he was a year ago. No. So if a year ago he really was the Man City, were, which is you know, what we what we kept hearing, but he was the Man City lined up to be Guardiola's long term replacement. That shouldn't change just because he's had loads of injuries at Leicester. That that would be a, a, a ludicrous way of looking at it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, I do wonder if you're going to appoint Brendan Rodgers, do you have to say to yourself, well? This is a two-year project, and after two years, then we'll assess whether things might be beginning to to you know, to have that downturn because we have seen that pattern. Um, but you know, there's not many managers who can give you two good years. You know, it's, that's that in itself makes him a good manager. Yeah, he's, he's he's definitely a good manager, Brendan Rodgers. Someone else who's a good manager, although I'm going to condemn him because it was absolutely a pulled by his behaviour in the week, is David Moyes. Josh, did they miss a trick in January? I think I think they had three club record bids. Rejected. I don't know who the players were, but I think they went for three strikers. Uh, Didn't yeah. get one. But did they did they miss a trick in January, or is it is it sensible just not to buy for the sake of it? Yeah, just at the moment, it seems like none of the, none of the the big boys really want fourth place. I know Arsenal won last night, but they've had twice as many red cards as they scored goals in twenty twenty two. So I'm still not quite convinced that they're going to. 
going to get fourth, especially with how few players they seem to have now. But um, in, in the end, history would suggest that one of United, Tottenham or Arsenal will probably sneak fourth. Um, West Ham only need to look at Leicester to see how difficult it is to get that fourth spot. And I would say that on paper, Leicester had the better squad in their failed attempts than West Ham do currently right now. Um, but then I think sometimes, like you said, with Leicester fans have to be a bit realistic. I think you have to step back and just look at how far West Ham have come under David Moyes. I think yeah. when, when they entered the 2020-21 season, I think I predicted West Ham to finish in the bottom three. I think they were in turmoil as they entered that season. I remember West Ham sold Grady Diangana to, to West Brom and I think it was Mark Noble came out and basically called yeah. his, his own club a disgrace. And at that point, everyone thought, oh, there's no way there's no way they're going to have a successful season. And then they end up getting the Europa League. They're obviously in the knockout stage of it this season. Um, and at the very least, they should get in that competition again next season. But I think having said all that, you, sometimes you do get opportunities that you won't get again. And I think if you look over the summer, Conte's, Conte can't have a worse window than he had in January in the summer. You would expect them to get him some players in. Man United are probably going to have a proper manager. Arsenal can be aggressive in the summer because they've obviously sold all the players they need to already. Um, and I think the manner of West Ham's cup exit to Kidderminster, uh, cup win over Kidderminster, sorry, I think shows that the depth isn't there. And you touched on the bids that they made. I think it was for, one was for Phillips, one was for Rafinha, and one was for um, Darwin Nunes from Benfica. And I don't know, I was. I looked. I, I don't know if I'm just being cynical, but I think the timing of those bids was more to try and appease the fans. I don't think realistically yeah. they would have. They would have thought, "Oh, we're going to sign Rafinha and Calvin Phillips from Leeds in the January transfer window with a day or two to go." I think that was them trying to show that they're trying to do something when really they knew that neither deal could happen. But maybe that does point towards the they're acknowledging the fact that maybe Jared Bowen and. Declan Rice will be off in the summer because if you think Phillips and Rice aren't too dissimilar and obviously Rafinha and Bowen play in the same position so maybe yeah. they are maybe they are sort of planning for the future without both of those players I was going to say because where's Phillips, where's Phillips playing? Suchek and Rice is one of the best partnerships in the in the Premier League he's, he's not getting in the team is he Jonathan? But, but, but that, well yeah but that seems to me to make sense because yeah, Rice realistically will leave in the summer so Phillips is a, is a good replacement for him I, I can see the logic of that I don't see the logic of thinking, oh, we're losing Jared Bowen, we'll get in Rafinha, because Rafinha's a better player than Jared Bowen. Surely the clubs who signed Jared Bowen would prefer to sign Rafinha. If, if West Ham could pull that off uh, and, you know, and, and, and sell Bowen and get... Yeah, and they're both really good players. I'm not, not sort of knocking Jared Bowen, but I think Rafinha's the better player. If you, if you can... Um, if your replacement for player you're selling for a lot of money is better than him, then you've, you've done great business. I just have no idea why Leeds would, would contemplate that. Also, uh, yeah, I, can like, see, I can see Rafinha jumping to an Arsenal over Tottenham, but for him to go to West Ham seems, I suppose it is slightly up, but it's a very, it's essentially a, a, you know, a, a sidestep onto a low brick. If Calvin Phillips and Rafinha are to leave Leeds, and I think obviously Phillips is far more attached to Leeds than Rafinha, I don't think that their next jump as Jonathan said, is it much of a jump would be to West Ham. I just don't see that. I think it would have to be a really big club for them to want to leave Leeds. And well, if Bielsa leaving might change that, but but yeah. Yeah. Which I think is pretty likely actually. Yeah, it will be. 
well, I've sat with two Leeds fans in corporate hospitality on Wednesday, and it, they, they were they were pretty certain that that Bielsa will leave in the summer. We'll say as well. I know Steven Gerrard's very very keen on, on Calvin Phillips, so I think Villa might be back in for him. They went for him a few years ago. I think Villa might try and make a move for him in the summer. Jonathan, probably again, that's like a, you... a sideways move. Or is that that's well, a massive step up, isn't it, Jonathan? Huge step up for the lad. Um. I mean, I, I just don't know why he wouldn't be going to, say, Manchester United. Because they're not sensible enough to buy him, probably. Well, that perhaps, would, that yeah, would be yeah. the only reason. Yeah. Uh, right. To be fair, I said about the boring fixtures. actually enjoyed delving into Leicester and, and West Ham there. Not two turns that we've delved into massively on this podcast, so that, that was good. We've got score predictions for this one. Josh, I'll come to you first for who scored prediction. Uh, we've gone for West Ham to win 2-1. 2-1 to West Ham. Jonathan? 1-1. 1-1. I've gone for 3-1 to West Ham. I know a good away day for the Hammers. Just before we get stuck into Tottenham v Wolves, let's catch up with Sam Boswell from Bet Victor and look at the markets this weekend. Sam, welcome as ever to the show. A few drab fixtures this weekend. I'm not really sure what we're going to cover. So let's look at the games individually. One of the TV games is Manchester United v Southampton. How's the market shaping up for that one? Yeah, it's one of those, isn't it, Dan, where you go through the list and you sort of think... Mm, I'm not sure what I'm desperate to tell the missus I must sit down and watch. But mm. I think the United-Southampton game could could really be of interest. Obviously, Southampton put up that epic effort against Spurs midweek. United have their own issues, don't they? 11-20, to 20, United at home to get the win. 3-1 to one the draw, which looks tempting to me. 9-2, to two, the Saints to put more misery onto the Red Devils. We've boosted a few different markets. If you think United are going to really actually turn up here, United half-time, full-time, boosted to 6-4 to four from 11-8. to eight. Personally, wouldn't fancy that too much. Uh, Bruno Fernandes to score from outside the box. May well need a goal from him. Uh, that's been boosted to 8-1. to one. Southampton to score a penalty 13-2 from 6-1. Bet builders are all available as well. But definitely a game I, I, I would personally want to take United on in this. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure from the home crowd. And I've just got an interesting feeling that potentially I think the misery may continue for Manchester United. Tottenham v Wolves. I mean, if we're talking about Tottenham Wolves in this segment, you know it's a bad weekend. Anything going on there? Yeah, I mean, Spurs, Spurs will probably end up being the, the the leg of a few Ackers, which I would never want to do. Uh, they knocked me out last man standing, actually, this week in the first round. Me so too. That's exactly that's right. That's so, right. That's uh, eight, me as well. 8-13 to 13 to get the home win, which does look an iffy price. 13-5 to five the draw. Uh, Wolves, who have been pretty industrial this season in the way they play, but efficient, 19-4. to uh, Goals to be scored in both halves have been boosted to evens. Um, we've got other issues uh, to consider here, I think, which is Spurs, to me, just don't quite look the finished article. Obviously, Antonio Conte is going to have to do a significant bit of work with the team, but they still have plenty of ability, don't they? The likes of Harry Kane, Son, always dangerous. Uh, for me, this game, I think I'd be looking at the unders market, personally. Spurs to win... Under two and a half goals is 23 to 10. Wolves 17 to 2 for the same outcome in terms of them to win and under on the goals. That's probably where my pen would land. But it is a tricky week as ever. I'd encourage everyone to gamble responsibly. Um, enjoy it for what it is, which hopefully we'll see some good games down. Let's be honest, sometimes it's the ones you don't expect mm. that really actually turn into crackers. Uh, our new stats markets are live on every single game already. So go and have a little look at those if you like your shots on target bets. Plenty to get stuck into. Let's be optimistic, Dan. It's going to be a good week, loads of goals, and it's going to surprise us. As I'm a massive tipster, massive in the betting world I am, my bet for that game is Bergvine to score the last goal and Spurs to win. That would be mine. He's come on a few times, hasn't he, and got the last goal recently. He got one disallowed, didn't he, the other night? That that would be my tip because he's coming on a sub. He looks lively when he comes on. As I say, yeah. massive tipster. That's what I'm going for. I think, um, I think 
I'd play it a bit safer and maybe look at him as an anytime goal scorer where he's 16 to 5. But I understand mm-hmm. the angle. It's quite good thinking the whole coming off the bench, impact substitute, that sort of thing. Um, uh, yeah, for, for, for me, I think this is a really difficult one to call. If you if you want to go last goal scorer, just having a flick through the prices now, you can get 8 to 1 with us as it stands. And then you can double that, obviously, on the bet builder with Spurs to win at a price. And yeah, I, fair enough. I, I get the logic. I just think with Spurs, I find the most unpredictable team. And maybe it's a personal thing. Every time I back them, I get it wrong. So I'll probably yeah. sit that game out. Maybe play the unders market if I have to have a bet. Well, thank you ever so much for joining us as ever, Sam. And if better to need a, a columnist on the website, tipster, hit me up. Next up then, Tottenham v Wolves. Again, early in the morning. I'm struggling for a derby. All I've got is Matt Doherty, and I don't want to do that because he's still playing there. Jonathan, we need a Tony Cotty-esque shout. From Robbie you. Keane, Robbie uh, Dean Gattis. Richards. Oh, my God. It's too easy for the guy. Taking your What job. is going on? What is going Yeah, you might have to give, take, take charge of this segment from now on, Jonathan. It's <laughs> an unbelievable start. Tottenham v Wolves then. Tottenham, the accumulator killers on Wednesday night. <laughs> Josh, who's benefited from Conte's arrival and, and who hasn't? I think everyone would probably suspect that Harry Kane has benefited the most, which is true. I think Conte's got him playing higher up the pitch. I think there's been stats floating around about how his shots have increased dramatically since Conte took charge. Son as well. Lucas Moore has continued his final form. But the one player that's really struggled, and I think we saw that perfectly on, or in midweek, was is Hoiberg. Um I watched the Tottenham game in midweek, and the I was quite taken back by how unlike the performance was from a Conte side. And I think it was Harry Winks who said afterwards that Southampton just suffocated them, and Hoiberg struggled with that the most. He's not brilliant when he's pressured, and I think it's quite pertinent that he was the top-rated Tottenham player under Nuno, um, and now he's one of the lowest-rated players under under Conte. So I think if you think of Nuno's Nuno's style, how much they sat back quite slow ponderous I think that suited him whereas Conte obviously wants it to be far more progressive uh, and he actually subbed he subbed Hoiberg off on the hour mark which is the earliest he's ever been subbed off in a Tottenham game and also I think it's the earliest he's been subbed off in a game since his Southampton days in 2016 and on those two occasions he was only subbed off because Southampton needed a goal and obviously Hoiberg's not going to give you that um and so it was Rodrigo Bentinka who replaced him obviously their new signing I think it was within five seconds of him being off the pitch he did this lovely little turn that sort of resisted Southampton's attempts to press him and then he played this like beautiful diagonal diagonal pass out to the, to the wing to start to start a Tottenham attack and I think in those five seconds it just showed everything that Conte's probably wanted from Hoiberg but hasn't got um so yeah Hoiberg has been has been one of the players to regress the most well only three players have actually suffered a decrease in rating um, from Nuno's time to, to Conte's time. And that's Deli Ali, Tanji Ndombele and Hoiberg. And obviously Conte got rid of the other two in January. So it's not, I, I can see him being dropped this weekend for Bentinka. Is Emerson Royale's writing just stayed exactly the same? He's yeah, an bit... absolute pony. Yeah, he's... <laughs> he's rubbish. I don't know, yeah. I've got, I felt like I had a serious problem with him, but he's absolutely awful every time I watch Spurs. <laughs> No, I, I saw. I was I was at the game when they they beat Watford one 0 That very late, uh, very late goal. Was this was it a Sun free kick which Sanchez just got a touch yeah. on? Yeah, yeah, I watched that game. Um, and that was, uh, you know, that game was driven to nil nil, and then there was a, a medical emergency in the crowd, which you know, the game was stopped for a few minutes, and sort of Tottenham reset for the last five, and they they were notably better once 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 the game restarted. Um, but Emerson Royal in that game. Like every time the ball went to him, 
yeah, just as a journalist sitting there, I sort of felt my heart sink because I knew <laughs> there was going to be a miss hit cross. And it's, oh, like, oh, it's the end of this attack. It basically means in the next 45 seconds of football, nothing that I can write about is going to happen because it's just going to be Emerson Royale wasting possession and Watford taking ages to get it back into play. As a football fan, it, it sinks your heart as well because you sit there thinking, I could have, I could have done this. I could, I could have made it. Even though I'm, I'm rubbish myself. You know, the, there was a chance because Emerson Royale is a professional footballer playing for Tottenham Hotspur. That's really harsh. <laughs> or not? But honestly, I've, I've got a real problem with him. I just think he's, he's, he's really appalling. Defensively, Jonathan Tottenham, bit of a mess, which is a surprise. I mean, I know Conte's not an absolute miracle worker, but five clean sheets in 19 under Conte. Should we expect a little bit more? Look, they're clearly better on the Conte than they were before. Uh, the fact that. Still, I, I, I fancy them to nick fourth just because they've got the games in hand and you sort of think they will settle down eventually. Um, I think it just sort of shows what a, what a mess they were in. That, that yeah, Conte, I think you've seen in previous jobs, he, he is somebody you can have an immediate impact just because of his energy. And maybe the, the impact of that has, has begun to wear off slightly. But they haven't settled on a system. Um I think in, you know, the, the, the defensive issues, Hoybe is, is, is part of that problem, that, that the back of midfield has become an issue for them. Um, Skip and Dyer are out for this game. So you know, those are players either in the, you know, in the back, back three or, or, or the centre of the back four or sitting just in front. Um, so you would think Bentoncourt would probably help resolve that. Um, so I just sort of feel that the... I mean, and then the other issue there is... Tottenham, and you know, this is, you know, I've heard from coaching staff there, Tottenham were pretty much the fittest team in the league under Pochettino. And then just because of the way Mourinho played, the fact they sat much deeper, and you saw that at Manchester United as well, their number of sprints per game dropped radically. Um, and their fitness levels dropped accordingly, uh, just because they were, they were focusing on different bits of the game. And Nuno, similar, likes to sit deep, so you don't need that intensity of the press. And then Conte comes in, who's all about that intensity. It's not really a surprise if fitness is an issue, and, and that that will be the case until until the summer when, the, the, you know, when they have a proper um, pre-season with him. So, I, 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 is he a miracle worker? No. Um, is it understandable why things have started to drift? I, I think, yeah, I think completely it is. What about Wolves then, Josh? When you were confidently touting that they've got top four chance before we came on the show before Jonathan joined us what I mean I guess is top four their ceiling where should they be looking to finish well before last night I think top four wasn't out completely out of the question I think even if they win their it basically if they win their um two games in hands on West Ham who are fourth then they would have the same amount of points but realistically I think they, they could still be looking at European football this season I think they've could they haven't defensively they're the soundest of all of the teams you'd say in that mix I think they've they haven't conceded more than once in a game since the start of November and only Man City have conceded fewer goals than them in the whole season. Um, but their biggest downfall, though, and I think is really a testament to their success this season, is that their attack. Uh, Huang Hee Chan, obviously, is back now, but he'd been out for two months and he's their joint top goal scorer of four goals. Trincao has no goals from 21 shots. Daniel Pedence, no goals from 17 shots. Um, and then after you go from Huang Hee Chan to Raul Jimenez, the next top goal scorer is Connor Cody. And he obviously historically never scored. Um, and uh, Adama Troy had his big critics. Obviously, his end product wasn't there. But I think in losing him, they've lost that like chaos that he brought. Him just dribbling would naturally bring opposition defenders to him and open up space for others. And they obviously haven't got that. But yeah, it's just their attack. I think will stop them from really 
maybe hitting the heights they can. But I don't think that the Europa League, for example, I don't think that's out of, out of the question. I find them a miserable side to watch, but I shudder and think about the game at Villa Park when Villa were turning up with 15 minutes left. And how did we concede three goals to Wolves? <laughs> you talk about Wolves, oh, they can't score, they can't score. It's got three in 15 minutes at Villa Park. <laughs> really so so frustrating Jonathan I mean they, I suppose at the start of the season we were saying they're playing really well and that but they just can't score now they've kind of gone a little bit more defensive they still don't really score loads except against yeah them. I mean I sort of they're one of those teams who if I'm in the right mood I quite like watching them uh, you know, it's just sort of neat. You must it's have really, had a dark. You must have had a dark day. <laughs> you mean you're in, when you're in the wrong mood? <laughs> no, like yeah, yeah. sometimes you kind of. It's just nice to. It's like watching a fish tank or something. But <laughs> it's just relaxing. sort of. Yeah, it's just sort of. You know, nothing silly is going to happen. You just watch these like shapes moving about, and they kind of keep in the right pattern. And you suddenly realise that five or six minutes have gone by, and you haven't thought of anything. It's quite a meditative thing, I think, to watch them. Uh, I, I quite, I quite admire that. You know, they. I mean, I, yeah, having come back from the Cup of Nations and seen some of the most gratuitous time-wasting and cheating I've ever seen, uh, I think it's important to draw a difference between a team like Wolves, who are very solid defensively and actually play quite attractive if slightly anodyne football, to somebody like Egypt, who just cheats, who just you know, waste time, feign injury, take half an hour of every free kick, challenge every decision. And the one is sort of, you know, what Wolves do is totally legitimate within the, the law and, and indeed the spirit of the game, if not necessarily the most exciting thing, what Egypt do is disgraceful. So, hang on, what, where, what am I going with this? Wolves are better than Egypt, that's what I'm saying. Um, and I, I don't mind them playing that. I think there's room for that in the game. If I had Jimenez in form and uh, Huang Hee Chan yeah, back to fitness, then you could see them winning a lot of games. Well, we did see them winning a lot of games, 1-0, one, 2-0. One and that's that's great. That's how a team of wolves of stature can compete. I, I think it's just I think it's really impressive that like their defence never wilts, knowing that they're knowing that the attack doesn't really score many goals. The fact that the defence remains so resolute. I think if you you look at Manchester United, Manchester United miss a few good chances, and then you know that their defence is just going to crumble at that point. Whereas wolves, they just they're still so sound at the back, no matter how many chances they miss or don't even get. They still, they still, they're so well organised, and I think it's just really impressive what they've done this season. If not particularly great to watch. Watch out for Jonathan's Guardian column next week on why wolves are better than Egypt. I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> I do, the fish, the fish tank line's going in the match report on Sunday. I'm telling you. Okay. <laughs> have you, had, have you got any columns out in anything today? Because I'll, I'll, I'll undoubtedly have to stop at a service station. I, I could pick. Up uh, I've, well, file my column. File my column for Sunday, which it'll be out. It'll be in the paper on Sunday. It'll be on the website tomorrow, and it's about the uh, Hungarian match fixer, Deso Schalti. Of course um, it is. Because. Uh, Liverpool play Inter next week. Yeah, the first I've only met twice before in so four games with two ties really? in the European Cup slash Champions League. The first time was in the semi final in 1965 when Liverpool won three one at Anfield and lost three nil at San Siro. Uh, and certainly Liverpool players of that time believe the game to have been fixed. And Inter had this fixer Schalke, but Schalke is an amazing story. I think he's sort of known as a match fixer. But he survived Auschwitz and had an extraordinary life. So it's about him. Okay. I'm not sure I'm gonna not sure I'm gonna go with that one. It doesn't sound up <laughs> my alley. But yeah, any, anyone else? I, whoa, whoa, I, I haven't yeah. sold it well enough then. No, no, I mean, no, that's true, yeah. I, I mean Jonathan Wilson, I should be reading it. But you've got match fixing. My dad already. You've got you've got a trained magician, 
You've got prostitutes. <laughs> you've got. We didn't say anything about the prostitutes. To be fair, <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> 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 uh yeah you've you've got second world war it's uh it's, a, it's an inc- incredible you've got people being killed in in motor crashes you've got brian clough you've got brian glanville what else do you okay. want i mean i will say I, I did i was only half listening because whilst you were talking i noticed that when you talk i put a really ugly face and it put put me off <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I don't want to pull that face again and now i'm really distracted by how my face because i haven't got my normal setup today with my light and stuff i just thought you're really ugly when jonathan talks anyway Let's get back to the ugly game that is Tottenham v Wolves. What's your prediction, Jonathan? Oh, um, one-one. I think I've pretty much gone one-one for every game this week. It's such an uninspiring <laughs> yeah, set of fixtures. Yeah, you've gone one-one. Josh, who's good? Uh, one-all as well. One-all as well. And I've gone one-nil, which makes no sense. One-nil to Spurs, which makes no sense considering I said at one point five clean sheets in nineteen under contact, <laughs> so a clean sheet probably unlikely for Tottenham. But yep, yeah, I've gone for one-nil. We go now to the just a minute section, and just before we do that, Josh. How did the predictions go this week? I could not tell you. Oh, come on, Josh. <laughs> I, don't actually I, know, know. I know I've got two bang on and who scored got two bang on and I don't think Jonathan got any bang on. I'm no, I had another nightmare week. Once again, I football was wrong. I pulled up. I was the only one that pulled out Burnley one, Manchester United one. That was a, yeah, that was a bigger... Sense. I got another one right as well. I can't remember which one, it, which one it was, but yeah. Didn't get Tottenham 2, Southampton 3 right. You'll be surprised to learn. Right, Josh, you're going to start, I believe, which is completely thrown me because Jonathan normally starts. Second way of running, a Gary Speed derby, Everton v Leeds. After, after the highs of their 4-1 win over Brentford in the FA Cup last weekend, Frank Lampard will serve with a big reality check in his Premier League opener as Everton manager. They lost 3-1 to direct relegation rivals Newcastle, and I think that result should probably see the end of Lampard's um, insistence with a back three. Um, that system doesn't seem wouldn't get the best out of new signings, Deli Ali or Donny van der Beek. So probably won't see that again. I think the fact that Dominic Calvert Lewin didn't even get off the bench in that game suggests that he's probably still not fully fit. But Lampard will desperately need him in the coming weeks to get them out of the relegation fight. Uh, Yerry Mina and Damari Gray both came off in that game and are probably not going to play this weekend. Uh, so Ali and van der Beek, you would hope, would get some more playing time. I'm not sure if either of you saw a picture of Donny van der Beek playing a pass against Newcastle, but he looked really excited to be on the pitch. Really, really, really strange face. That he's he not going to know what to do when he starts again. He's, <laughs> gonna, he's not going to know what that feels like. Uh, Le- uh, Leeds dragged Aston Villa into the sort of frantic and chaotic game that they live for in midweek and were probably disappointed not to come away with all three points after Villa went down to 10 men. Dan James got a rare brace in the game and Diego Llorente scored what proved to be the equaliser in a three-all draw. Uh, scoring three goals and Rafinha being so quiet is a massive plus for Leeds, especially uh, with Patrick Bamford still out. They've relied quite heavily on Rafinha. Uh, it's now four defeats in a row for Everton and in the Premier League, and they could soon find themselves right in the relegation uh, mix. They're only a couple points above the bottom three um, as things stand, and we're backing a Leeds win 2-1. Uh, 1-1 again, I think. 1-1 yeah, again. 1-1. 1-1 again for you, and I've gone for 2-2. Dan Jones not to score again this season. Uh, <laughs> your first game, Jonathan, to nobody Darber. Nobody knows someone who played for Brentford. Yeah, I can't think of anybody. We, Sorry. We even tried to Google it before we came on, and we didn't come up with anything. That's how bad it is. So Brentford v Palace for you, Jonathan. We mentioned it on Monday, but I think Brentford really are looking in a bit of bother now. Um, it's not just they've lost five in a row, seven of the last eight. Uh, not even just that they've only scored six goals in that run of eight games. It's that other teams at the bottom are starting to improve. So they're only six points off relegation zone now. And you do fear not just that they've slightly run out of steam and the squad's starting to, to creak, but that the pressure of feeling the likes of Newcastle, maybe Norwich, maybe Burnley, 
closing in on them. And you assume Everton will pick up as well. That that, that might start, start to tell. Uh, Palace actually only two points better off. They've only won one of the last seven and two of the last 12. So they're in a, a little bit of, of bother. Like you assume they'll have too much. Uh, for Brentford, Tony and Arnold are both doubts. Jorgensen's out. Uh, Ericsson could could make his debut for them, which would be lovely to see. Uh, Raya's back, which is the good news. Um, and I think you saw even in defeated City how important he is to the way they play it from the back. Kiate and Ferguson out for Palace. It was nil at the Tellers Park. I think it'll be low scoring again, but I'll go Palace win 1-0. Uh, we've got him for a one on draw again. Now I've gone for 2-0 to Crystal Palace. And I'm really pleased that we're doing that because a couple of derbies did pop to me while I was looking at looking at the fixtures. I'm going to allow this one for myself. Watford v Brighton, Josh. The Danny Welbeck derby. That's yeah, that's I'm, allow, I'm allowing it. Watford is still looking for their first goal under Roy Hodgson after they followed up a 0-0 draw with Burnley with a 1-0 defeat to West Ham. Ishmael Asar will be delighted Senegal went against Watford's medical advice and took him to AFCON. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had a winner's medal. Uh, he could make the matchday squad here, but Roy Hodgson said in midweek that he's still not even met him. Um, Jao Pedro could therefore be recalled to the starting eleven, but few changes are otherwise expected. Brighton had the midweek off, um, so they would have had a full week to digest and get over the cup exit to Tottenham. Graham Potter will hope to have Alexis McAllister and Leandro Trossard back from COVID uh, in some capacity, while Lewis Dunk, uh, Adam Lallana and Shane Duffy have all returned since the break. Uh, Brighton have impressively lost fewer Premier League games than Manchester United, Arsenal and Tottenham this season, but aren't higher than ninth due to the fact they've drawn the most games. 12 of 22 draw, uh, Premier League games have been drawn this season. Um, but as Watford have lost five in a row, Brighton should get um, over the line here and we're going for a 1-0 win. I need called you Martin then. God, sorry. So, so sorry. Jonathan? <laughs> uh, uh, 1-1. <laughs> I've gone for 1-1 as well. I'm not even going to bother asking you anymore because it's <laughs> just 1-1, isn't it? Uh, next up for you, Jonathan, is Norwich v Man City. Talk to me, someone. Oh, there's loads here. here. Uh, John Bond managed both of them. Uh, Mel Machen played for Norwich and managed Manchester City. Uh, I can't Dave be expected Phillips. to come up with these. Dave Phillips played for both, I'm pretty sure. How old do you uh, think I am, Dave... Jonathan? I think you're 36. I am 36. Hang on, did you just <laughs> know that? Did you Google me before we came on? Just fancy looking at my age. <laughs> <laughs> not oh, not yeah. that I think I come up in any Google searches. <laughs> There's not a Wikipedia page on there or anything. you got a Wikipedia page, uh, Jonathan. Yeah. Of course. Obviously. Um, obviously. <laughs> um, no, I, I think I looked it up when you were talking about haircuts once. I was thinking, Jesus Christ, how old is this man? <laughs> And it turned out you're much older than 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 the way you're talking. Um. Well, someone said I sound like I'm 60 the other day on YouTube. Someone said they'd never seen my face before and they saw me on a video and they'd always assumed I was about 60 years old and they were really surprised when they saw my face. I mean, they obviously, if it, I mean, that's listening to tone of voice and not content, isn't it? Yeah. If yeah, it isn't the content, you'd be going like 18, 17, maybe. <laughs> I was going to say, that didn't sound like it was going in a complimentary manner at all. <laughs> also, dress, dress sense, probably 12. Uh, let's, let's do, do nothing. You, you, you just get dressed by your sponsors, don't you? You don't even get to choose that's anymore. Just, that, that's true. Uh, anyway, uh, Norwich have, um, have, have actually, yeah, I think, really improved under Dean Smith, which uh, I wasn't necessarily expecting. I, I, I thought maybe he'd, he'd leapt back into management a bit too quickly. And the first... First few games weren't that impressive, but they've won four of the last six in all competitions, uh, drawn one of the other two. Admittedly, two of those wins were in the FA Cup. But they are up to the third bottom in the league, and you, you look at the way the table is, and you think the likes of Brentford and Leeds and Palace and Everton uh, are, are possibly within range for them, which, uh, yeah, given that they had looked sort of two or three months ago like they're going to get cut adrift, is is an achievement. 
however, Manchester City are clearly brilliant. They've won 13 of the last 14, had a little step against Southampton, but they still look like they're on one of those absolutely remorseless, relentless runs. Gabriel Jesus is a doubt for them. Uh, they've got Mares back in the Cup of Nations. He scored three and two since his return, so it obviously hasn't affected him. Kavak's a doubt. Sargent's out for Norwich. Krul is out. City won this 5-0 early in the season. I think they'll win this. 2-0. I've done the same. I've gone for 2-0 to Manchester City. Because you're always tempted to go big with, with City, but sometimes they do just kind of not grind it out, but they're just playing second gear and win 2-0. Josh? No, yeah, we've gone for 3-0 to Manchester City. 3-0 to Manchester City. Very good. Uh, your final game, Josh, is Burnley v Liverpool, the Danny Ings derby. After a quiet debut, Wout Weghorst showed his quality in Burnley's draw with Manchester United in midweek. He made Harry Maguire look very silly for his assist in the equaliser. Um, there are again concerns over Maxwell Cornet, though. He limped off against United and may not be risked here with the bigger picture in mind. Uh, Eric Peters will continue at left-back if Charlie Taylor doesn't recover in time. Um, Matt Lowton might come back in at right-back because Conor Roberts didn't look particularly comfortable against United. Uh, for Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp handed Luis Diaz his full Premier League debut in midweek. Uh, Mo Salah was only fit to start on the bench. Um, Sadio Mane, if he's uh, awake, Klopp said that he wasn't even awake for 24 hours when he got back from AFCON. Um, he should be back this weekend. Um, so they're full of options in attack with Roberto Firmino and Diego Hotter. A back problem kept Jordan Henson out in midweek uh, and he remains a doubt, but Harvey Elliott and Thiago are now both back from injury. To, so Liverpool were looking, looking pretty good. I think Klopp even said this is the best squad he's ever had. Um, Burnley have actually drawn with Arsenal and with Arsenal and Manchester United in the last three games, but you'd expect Liverpool to show why they are way better than those two. Um, Liverpool and City don't tend to drop points against those in the bottom three, so we're, we're going to go for an easy 2-0 win for Liverpool. 2-1 to Liverpool. 2-1 to Liverpool. I've gone for 3-0 to Liverpool. Hopefully Sadio Mane will, will wake up before that game. Some sleep, 24 hours sleep. That's an absolutely incredible nap from Sadio Mane. <laughs> Final game, one that we should have been looking at in more depth, is Newcastle v Villa, Jonathan. The Shay given Darba. Yeah, started his career at Sunderland, of course, 16 games. He did. Uh, looked very dodgy in a 3 3 draw at Watford. I sort of wrote him <laughs> off then, too short, and I was right. <laughs> um, Newcastle at the relegation zone. Uh, they've taken seven points from the last three games uh, since players start to arrive in January. Uh, they've obviously had a couple postponed. Uh, so that cup defeat to Cambridge now looks like that really was an idea from which everything else was, uh, was improvement. So I think it's pretty hard now, and unless they get serious injuries, uh, to see them getting relegated, you assume they'll be comfortable lower mid-table by the end of the season. Villa's form hasn't been great recently. Uh, one win in the last six, and that was against Everton, so it doesn't really count. Um, uh, they've got a few injuries as well. Um, so, uh, Con well, Conte suspended. Uh, Buendia, uh, Cuccino, Bailey, and Traore are all doubts. Uh, Nakamba's out. Uh, Newcastle have uh, no Matt Target, no Callum Wilson, no Matt Ritchie. Trippier is a doubt as well, which given his crossing ability and his uh, set plays, I think he's important to them. Villa won a 2-0 early in the season, uh, but I think Newcastle will win this 2-1. I never do this. I've predicted Villa to lose as well in the hope that it inspires victory. Also, Villa haven't won at St James's Park since Lee Bowie and Kieran Dyer had a fight, which was many, many moons ago. That was a great day. 2005. Long, yeah. long time. It's a bizarre record. For Honestly, it's, it's it's stupid. I posted something about it yesterday on Twitter. It's absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, we never do well there, so I, I fully expect us to get beat. Josh, what have who scored gone for? We've gone for a two-all draw in that game. Two-all draw. 
Very nice. I'll take that at the moment, I think. We've got Saturday 3pm treble and a Sunday 2pm treble, Josh. Yeah, I'll just I'm missing, I'm missing being able to do the, the – because of the way the fixtures are falling, I've not been yeah. able to make the shouts ourselves. Um, we were really close, actually, midweek. We had uh, two bets. Uh, we had three right in a fourfold and two right in a uh, treble, like a goal scorer treble. So hopefully we'll go one better in each year. Um, I'll start with the Saturday 3pm. We've gone for Brighton to win to nil against Watford. Obviously, Watford have failed to score in their last three. They've lost the most home matches in the Premier League this season um, with eight, and they've failed to score in five of those. Uh, Brighton obviously had the whole week off, so they should be well-rested. Um, the next leg, we've got Leeds just to win. Everton have lost more home games than they've actually won this season. Um, so we've got Leeds to win. And then the last one is Palace to, to draw or Palace against Brentford. Uh, Brentford have only lost what Brentford, sorry, have only won one of their last 10 games against Premier League opposition. So that's Palace double chance, Leeds to win and Brighton to win to nil. And that's been boosted to 16 to one by Bet Victor. Um, it's just worth pointing out that we'll also have bet builders for a couple of the games this weekend, but we'll have them on Twitter. So keep an eye out for them. Um, the Sunday 2pm goal scorer treble, we've gone for Harry Kane to score against Wolves. He scored in four of six starts against them in his career. Um, obviously, he's looked much better under Conte. Um, and then we've got Alan, unfortunately for you, Dan, we've got St. Maximin to score. All five of his goals have been scored at home this season, and he was the who scored man of the match in midweek. And then we've got Mo Salah to score against Burnley. He scored twice as many goals away from home as any other Premier League player this season. Uh, so that's Harry Kane, St. Maximin, and Mo Salah all to score any time. And that's been boosted to 13 to 1 by Bet Victor. Until you said my name, I wasn't particularly listening because I sort of became really distracted by how much useless paraphernalia there is on my dad's desk. Really, <laughs> really, really, really distracted. I mean, I'm the worst cup I think I've ever seen. This makes, does this even make sense? Where there is tea, there is hope. That's awful. What does that mean? Something for the for the journey for to your sister's wedding to talk about. That is what a load of rubbish it is on this desk, honestly. Sorry. Yeah, and then you and then I thought you said we're back in St. Maximum to score all five goals against Villa. Sorry, clearly, clearly wasn't all that shocks me back it back into listening. Right. Final game we're gonna look at today is Manchester United v Southampton. First thing Martin to put in this script, Jonathan, is is House Danny Wallace. Oh, forgot about the Darby. Danny Wallace. Hmm. Is Rod Wallace's brother? Yeah, elder brother. Oh, tell you what, that's good knowledge. But yeah, I didn't know he played for Southampton, and I didn't know he played for Manchester United, and I never saw. They it. started. They all, they all started. All three brothers started at Southampton. I think they're the only time three brothers have played in the top flight in England at the same time. I think so. Yeah, interesting. Good statage. Ray, of course, the youngest. Good Danny Rod and Ray, of course. Good quiz question that one. But yeah, Martin's putting the script here. Is House and Hurtle good enough for Manchester United, Jonathan? Yeah. I mean, probably, probably most managers are, actually, at the moment. But also, I mean, it depends. And so, yeah, we, again, with United, we haven't a clue what's going on. Nice if Rangnick rubbish. is in a in a proper sort of consultancy role where he's got influence, he's worked with House and Hurtle before. Their, their visions of football are, are not dissimilar. Um, it would make complete sense for Rangnick to to you know have some sort of background role and House and Hurtle to, to be doing the, the touchline stuff. I think House and Hurtle has been incredibly impressive at Southampton. Um, there's been obviously big swings with you know two nine nil defeats aren't great, uh, but yeah you know, they they've always bounced back from them and, and you know for Southampton to be consistently mid table is is good. You always worry about managers making that step up. You never quite know, but I, you know you sort of look at something like Hazenhut and you think to playing football that way, the better the players you have, the better that will be. It's not like uh, you know Tony Pulis or Sam Allardyce where you think. Their style of football has a natural ceiling that once you get better players, 
to get the very best out of them. You have to slightly adapt that. Hasenhutl's football is elite level football. So I think he'd be a very good choice. And, and in the fact he's got Premier League experience as well. Now, it could go wrong. Uh, all managers can go wrong. And the problem you'll always have is getting buy-in from players. And that seems to be a problem Magnus had straight away, that his his manner, perhaps the fact he's only had you know, one season of top-flight management in the last decade, um, the fact that he's just sort of you know, a nerdy German guy, doesn't necessarily speak the same way that, 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 that footballers speak, seem to have provoked resistance. And if you don't have buy-in to, to a hard-pressing game, you've got big problems. We talked about retiring the other day, wasn't he? House and Hurts was saying it. I'm not going to do a Roy Hodgson. I'll be retired in a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I say that most years <coughs> as well. No, oh, you've been around, you've been around the block, Jonathan. You've oh, still, yeah. still got plenty of plenty of years left in the tank, though. I think plenty of mileage left in there. Josh, now you don't admit this as much as you would have done when you were a child, but you are a Manchester United fan. Correct. Yeah, I probably don't enjoy watching them as much as you did when you were a kid as well. Correct. Again, Mar- I'm going to again have to call Martin because he's done the, done the script here. Is Maguire getting dropped? He says he's dropping Maguire a bigger, tougher call than dropping Ronaldo. Are people I... even dropped nowadays? Because it's just squad rotation, surely. Mm, yeah. If you were I... centre back, you probably dropped actually. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I, I actually do think that dropping Maguire just because he's captain and the, the repercussions of what that usually means, I think it is a bigger call than than dropping Ronaldo because I think he's already, he has already dropped Ronaldo. He dropped him in midweek. He said it was because um, yeah. Cavani had a style of play that was better suited to the way. Um, that what Burnley would bring. And yeah, I do think he has showed he's prepared to make big decisions. I mean, Diego Dallo and Alex Tellez seem to be his first choice pairing once at fullback, once everyone's like fit and available. Uh, and I think dropping him would be a real statement, but it's, I do, I'm a bit torn on Maguire because I think, I don't think he's a Manchester United captain, but I do think he's a good defender. I just think that, I don't think there's a coincidence that you see Maguire look way more assured and comfortable for England and a bit haphazard for Manchester United. I think if you look at the way England play, it's it's a bit risk averse. They they just tend to be in control of games more. I know most of the time they're not playing opposition that are, are particularly challenging, but if you think about the way Manchester United play, how wild they are in transitions, that that sort of leaves Maguire in moments where he he shouldn't be sort of thing. I think the the great teams hide the flaws and the weaknesses of players and get and get like you playing in the way that you should to your strengths. And I think if you look at the way, if if you look at what happened to Trent Alexander-Arnold last, was it last season when Liverpool had their defensive crisis? I think you then yeah. saw that he was defensively exposed. And I think that's just happened really to Maguire every every week, really. I think, um, look, you can't excuse some of Maguire's decision-making, but perhaps that's because everything's so frantic. It, it sort of clouds his judgment. Um, and obviously, the, he, Maguire is actually quite important to the way Manchester United build out from the back. I think if he's not driving forward with the ball, he's either sweeping a long pass out to, the, to what used to be Luke Shaw, now Tellez. Because um, United don't really have a central midfielder that can control the games. They don't really, they don't really have anyone like that. So there is a reliance on Maguire in that respect. So it is a tough call, but he, like defensively, he has made. Um, a lot of bad decisions. I don't know what's wrong with me at this time of the morning. I'm quite a cutthroat. But also, Maguire, he's just not an inspiring leader for me. When he comes out and talks after the game, I sound like Roy Keane. It's just so boring, what, what are you saying? If you're the captain in the dressing room trying to lead everyone, I just think, I wouldn't be motivated by what you're saying to me at all. No, and he, he does seem, um, when he does come out, he does seem like he just says things that you he thinks that fans want to hear. And most of the time, it's actually not what they want to hear. Um but like he's he has been really consistent prior to the season. All of his 
Premier League campaigns, he's finished with a who scored rating above seven, which is pretty like which is really impressive for a centre back. Uh, but this season, his rating is only six point five four, which is like way lower than anything that he's ever done before. He's committed the most errors that have led to an opposition shot um, of all outfielders in the Premier League this season. Um, so yeah, he's he's a good defender, but I just think perhaps the way Manchester United play just doesn't help him at all. Yeah, we've got a combined eleven. Jonathan, have you compiled one as well? I have. How many Southampton? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, five. I mean, to be honest, I find this really, really difficult because there's a big difference between are you? Yeah, am I picking them for a game tomorrow, or am I picking them for a game in six months when the United players might return to form? So it, it's very hard to uh, to define the criteria. But yes, I've got five Southampton players. Josh, how many of who scored got? One, two, three, four. We've got six. Six Southampton six, players. Six. I mean, as a Manchester United fan, you must be disgusted by that. That, that, that That's what it's come to. You yes. must yeah, it's not um, great. But just but just back on the first topic of House Nittle, I would I honestly think that he would be a great match for... Man- well, he wouldn't be a great match for Manchester United because the Man United players are too precious and wouldn't let him work. But he does have the credentials, I believe, to for a top job. And in the four- A disciple of Ranić as well. Yeah. And this the formation that we've gone for in the combined 11 is 4-2-2-2, which is obviously what Rangnick tried and failed with. But I think Southampton have got the players that obviously are better suited to that. We've gone for De Gea in goal, obviously. He's obviously returned to form. He's been brilliant this season. Um, saved. I think that's part of the why, why part of the reason why Manchester United... Um, haven't had as many defeats this season is because of De Gea. He's obviously kept them in games before they've even got started. Um, and then in, it's like an entire Southampton back four. We've got Liveramento, uh, Bednarak, Salasu and Walker-Peters uh, as the, as the back a, four. That's embarrassing for Manchester United. Honestly, that is, that is embarrassing. Yeah, it's, it's not great. But I think the full-backs for Southampton are so important to the way they play, especially in this 4-4, this 4-2-2-2 formation. They obviously push up so high. And I don't think it's any surprise that Chelsea have produced Reese James, Lamptey and Liveramento. It's no fluke. They're, they're so good in what they do. So there's obviously a clear um, a clear pathway in development at Chelsea there. Uh, and then the base of the midfield is James Wood-Prowse and Scott McTominay. Um, not too, like, in terms of work rate, they both offer the same thing to, to each team, but obviously Wood-Prowse has got far more quality. Um, and then the, the two behind the front two, so to speak, is Pogba and Fernandez. And then we've got uh, Ronaldo up front and Che Adams. It was really close between uh, Adams and Brozier, but uh, Adams just gets it. Sub appearances hurt Brozier's rating. Not a million miles off. So mine's a 43-1. De Gea in goal, Livermento, Bednarek, Salasu. I've gone Luke Shaw at left back, but that's the Luke Shaw of the summer, not the Luke Shaw of the autumn and winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've gone Ward-Prowse and Oriol Romu at the back of midfield. But, you know, I'm not going to... I'm not going to fight you for McTominay if you really want McTominay in there. Uh, then I've gone, again, this is on the players that we know they can be rather than the players that have been in the last six months. Sancho, Fernandes and Rashford and Cavani up front, who I assume his rating is also hurt by having been yeah. a sub so often. It's, it's in, uh, the thing with, I find Cavani really interesting. I find that when he starts for Manchester United, he's nowhere near as impactful as when he, when he comes on off the bench. But I don't know if that's because he's having to do the running for about four different players so by the time he actually can be involved in the game, he's just spent because he doesn't really seem to be as involved as much as when he does come off the bench when all he is is trying to score a goal. But which is a bit sad because if he is, if that is the case. Um, but yeah. What's your prediction for this one, Josh? 
Um, well, it's we, not yours. Who scored's prediction? We've gone for a. What have we gone for? Oh, we've gone for a two-all draw, I think. And I'm going to go further and say James Ward-Prowse, who was in the Premier League team of the week and is in our top ten player form ratings. I think he's going to either score a free kick again against De Gea or whip one in for a set piece goal for Southampton. Two all though. Two all. Jonathan. One one. Obviously. One, one. And I've, Obviously. I've, I've gone big. Manchester United one, Southampton two. Went Double away day joy for Southampton. I fancy them. I do. I do fancy them. See, I thought I'd have. I thought I'd have a, a plump for that and see how I get on. That does us for this week's show. Thank you ever so much for joining us and tuning in. And thanks to Jonathan and Josh as well. Always enjoyable. I've had a great time this morning, even if I was a little bit grumpy. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel with your notifications on, so you know when the shows are coming out. We'll be back next week in our normal slot. I think I don't think there's, I think there's only one midweek game next week. So yeah, we'll be back in our normal Thursday slot. Tell all your friends about the podcast, and as ever, stay safe. Thank you.